Hello and welcome to episode 144 of Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Fiona and joining me tonight is my co-host Sarah. Hey, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. And our guest this week is Ben Chevalier from Mighty Bear Games and he's here to tell us all about their new game, Butter Royale. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks for having me. But before we get to that, before we talk more about the game, what are we looking at first, Sarah? So today we're going to be looking at the myth of the lone gamer, which often includes the stereotypical view of painting gamers to be antisocial. So we'll be discussing that and how games foster social interaction of the positive variety. All right, let's get into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever podcasts are found. So for many years, gamers have been painted as being antisocial, loner types who live in a dark room with a dimly lit screen. And as individuals try and keep themselves entertained as we currently navigate through a time of self-isolation, online gaming and game sales have both risen. There's been a huge social aspect of playing games and engaging with video games, and it's been especially brought on by fan communities streaming and connecting socially when so many people feel so distanced at the moment. It's been really quite quite interesting. Uh, we've gone from a, a time where the um, lone gamer has been uh, a young boy uh, uh, or a young adult sitting alone in their room in the dark playing video games, some pizza on the side maybe, but it's really not that and it's really changed a lot over the years. Ben, what do you think uh, about the myth of the lone gamer? Um. Yeah, I think, I mean, this This is a very interesting topic as, you know, we, we kind of discussed very earlier. Um, I it, I relate to that because I used to kind of be on, on that side of the of the fence where uh, I used to play a lot. I used to play my MMORPGs and my parents didn't really understand what I was doing. And even some of my friends didn't really understand why I was spending so much time on that. Uh, and I was uh, I was making friendships. Uh, in these games and I built friendships like 10, 15 years ago uh, that are still, you know, living today. So, um, and it's just, I think it used to be a sort of black box for a lot of people, uh, even up to now, like people don't really understand why we would spend so much time on that. And there is a definitive, I mean, games are an avenue to connect with other people. So sure, we can look at it as like, oh yeah, that's an escape kind of, you know, uh, you know, thing to do, you just escape reality or whatever. Like, that's not really how most of the people play games. Uh, to be honest, it's, it's a pastime. It's like watching movies. It's uh, actually a very active uh, pastime, in, in my opinion. Um, and it's an avenue to connect with people. It's an avenue to make friends. And I think it's become probably visible to maybe parents or people who are not used to kind of like see how that works, to see, you know, their kids communicating maybe over you know, um, Discord or Zoom or whatever and be like, well, actually, you can really entertain a relationship with other people. It's not just like on your own, on your computer. There is something happening with other people. It's social. And I think this this has become much more visible, I believe. What I really find interesting about this topic is that the Digital Australia 2020 report, which is the culmination of over 15 years of research on how, why, and whom video games are played in Australia, and that came out last year, it came with some really interesting statistics that I think definitely helped to prove that like, the myth of the, the loner gamer is really just not that true in this current um, state of time. So some of those really good stats prove that 9 out of 10 homes have a device of which games have been played. The average... Um, 
person that plays video games is about 34 years old. Um, and as far as gender, about half and half of individuals were um, were female and male. I think it was 47% of all players are female, which is fan- absolutely fantastic. And it kind of just shows that, like, there's a huge variety of, of people that play games. And it's not just the young teenage boy hiding away, trying to, you know, escape from from the world, which is what a lot of gamers have been perceived as or have been represented as in a lot of media in the past. It had some really interesting quotes um, from individuals that were interviewed or for part of the um, – the report and one of them was uh, I'm not a social person so playing games helps me connect with others which was a female from South Australia someone else said um, games let me have fun with my family and create memorable moments which was another female from, from Queensland and someone else a male from New South Wales said as a teenager it was a social thing to do with friends and now as an adult it's for stress relief taking a break from responsibility for a little while now I definitely spend a lot of my social time playing games with my friends. I have, obviously, I'm based in Melbourne. The rest of the Pixel Sif crew is predominantly based in Perth. So for us to play games together, especially on the channel and do what we do, it's a very, it's a great way to socially connect and to kind of break down that distance barrier. And it also helps, like what you were saying before, it helps someone get into a community like the person who said that they're not very good with social interaction. So it allows them to find a community Another interesting stat of part of that report was that 28% of the people involved actually participated in cosplay as well. So it's not just make a community, it's branch out into creativity, whether that be cosplay, making videos, and all different kinds of things. So it's not it's not true, the lone gamer. And then it's really quite interesting as well, because one of the, the very first multiplayer board games, which was from ancient Egypt, it's a game and it's multiplayer and Pong as well two-player so it's it's interesting where that myth even came from to be honest ben do you think once uh most countries will exit the current lockdown that we have in place uh, do you feel like the overall state of people's opinions on games being antisocial will change in the future um i think generally even without you know the lockdown i think the lockdown kind of accelerated a little bit what what is happening around games um this understanding of like hey actually that's uh, a great you know, pastime and um, it's it's a social activity. Like this is this is accelerated by the situation, but I think yes, it will continue evolving and and we'll see more and more people uh, um, playing. Like we, I think we, I had an interesting conversation with with my mom not, not so long ago, and she doesn't consider herself as a gamer, but then she clocks in like thousands of hours on a match tree game. I'm like that's that you're a gamer. You you enjoy your games. Like that's not like she has this image of what a gamer is, and she knows that's not that's not that anymore. And I think people are coming to realize, like you know, like you can play in many different ways. And uh, again, it's a way. Like I'm having conversations <laughs> with her about these kind of things that I didn't really have before because she started playing, and that's that's really interesting. I think there is a big a big shift in how people perceive games, yeah. And, and this is going to continue in the future, for sure. It's getting more and more accessible, generally. Um, that's, uh, that's a, yeah, yeah, I think it's a fact. It's going to change, yeah. So thanks for watching, Pixelift. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the myth of the lone gamer and how that's changed over the years. Now, we've talked a little bit about how, because of the situation with COVID-19, a lot of countries are trying to to flatten that curve by asking a lot of people to stay indoors. So we've actually seen an increase in game sales and online games, and we've actually also seen an increase in mobile games. So there was an uh, an app firm called Iron Source, and they released some information recently showing a spike in mobile gaming. 
So the the weekly daily average users in the US was up by 13%. South Korea jumps 23%, Italy 15%. And internet spikes as well. Um, they found in Italy, once they went into lockdown, I think it was something like 70 increase, 70% increase in internet use because people playing games like Fortnite to hang out with people that they haven't seen in a while. Absolutely. And we've also seen, especially in Italy, um, a rise in the use of Twitch, which is Amazon's live streaming service for games. And if you're watching us live, you know that we're live on Twitch right now. But we've seen it rise globally, um, usage of the site up by 10% and as high as 66% in hard hit areas such as Italy. And the platform is fantastic because not only does it allow people to connect through games and to experience um, and to kind of share your personal experiences, but it's also being uh, expanded into non-game activities such as cooking class classes, yoga, or university lectures. Now, I'm not sure how, how well the university lecture would go over, over Twitch, but I think it's, it's quite incredible the, um, the, the expansion that we've seen in, in these platforms that were previously maybe looked down upon or not considered very important or, um, I guess, socially important for people that have now become something that a lot of people are leaning on very heavily because it is keeping us connected in a time of such disconnection. And we've been seeing even platforms like Steam, they've been hitting day after day new record-breaking numbers. A few weeks ago, over 20 million people were logged on at one time, and it's just been increasing over time. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what will happen once uh, lockdown in many countries have finished. We'll People continue the the trend of playing multiplayer online games or will they be a huge dip because everyone will go back and speak socially and interact with people physically? Now, we do, uh, earlier today and the other day, we uh, sent out a question to you who's listening at the moment was, how have you been connecting to friends through games while social distancing? And we got quite a few really, really nice responses so on Facebook, we we had Daniel, who is a member, member of Pixel Sif, saying at the moment been playing World War Z with their best mate. It was free on the Epic Games Store a few weeks ago, and it's been really fun. The game's intense, huge waves of enemies, but they mostly use the platform to talk to each other and catch up, so they die a lot in result because they're not paying attention. Also, uh, Pixel Sif Discord, we had Ultimate uh, in playing Roll20 D&D with their friends, and that's something that I've been doing a lot at the moment. And this one, which I think is quite nice, Wish from Pixels of Discord. Today was one of their closest friends' birthdays, so they all jumped on a voice call, ate cake, had a birthday party virtually, and then played some Fortnite with few friends for a couple hours. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's been like oh, we've seen a huge increase in, in people very like obviously, you know, uh, leaning on, on games as a social platform. But f- I know for me and a lot of my friends, predominantly any time that we spent gaming in the last few years has been a very social thing. Like talking to some of my friends today and it feels like when we jump into a, a single player game, it almost feels like a wasted uh, time and wasted experience because we could be doing that with a friend. You know, we could be doing that as a social activity. We can be engaging with people. So predominantly, like, I've found myself moving further and more and more and more towards multiplayer games, and especially now more than ever, because any time I jump into this experience, I always kind of feel like, wow, it'd be really cool if I had someone to chat to while I'm doing this. Or what, what if we, I could go and, you know, go fight this monster with my mate? 
you know. And I think this has just hopefully opened that that world up to a lot of other people that maybe um, potentially didn't quite take it very seriously. I know my parents have probably changed their opinions slightly on what games can do for people, especially now more than ever that everything's so distant. And they've even asked me, you know, oh, what, what voice program do you use to talk to your friends these days? And I introduced them to Discord as a result and we'll see where that goes. But I think it's 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 quite incredible and I, I, do, I do hope we see uh, a generally more a positive change towards the association of who gamers are and what games can can do for people, what good they can do for people moving on into the future. And I think that's a good place to end the topic there. Coming up very soon, we'll be chatting with Ben from Mighty Bear Games about the new game, Butter Royale. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. So today we're joined by Ben Chevalier from Mighty Bear Games, and he's joining us this evening to tell us all about their new game, Butter Royale. So for those who may not know, what is Butter Royale? Um, so Butter Royale is a, it's a food-themed um, battle royale uh, game. So you fight each other with gnomes, which are nutritionally, um, sorry, nutritionally operated machines. That's, that's the gnomes. Um, and so you go around on an island. It's a game show. Uh, narrated by Caesar Salads. The settings is, you know, a sort of future where weapons have been banned. People can't really, you know, hurt each other uh, in any ways, but they don't find any way to kind of vent, you know, their anger. And someone comes up with a great idea of like, let's just use, you know, f- uh, uh, food weapons. And um, so noms. And so came this uh, Butter Royal show where you have up to 32 people on an island uh, fighting each other, trying to survive the waves of butter that is kind of like closing onto them. Uh, so traditional, you know, um, a battle royale type of uh, gameplay. And uh, uh, this is happening within a five-minute session, so you can play that on the go. Um, you can play with your friends. You can play in squads. Um, and uh, it's an exclusive title for Apple Arcade. It's cross-platform. You can play on your phone. You can play on your iPad. You can play on your TV and on your Mac. With controllers. What was the inspiration behind the game? Because you were just listing off so much there. And it just sounds like you'd have to think about the whole world. And it sounds like there's a bit of lore as well, which is amazing. Uh, that was the easy part, <laughs> actually. The the whole like world building and all of that. Uh, it's um, so the, the backstory, like how we came up with uh, Battle Royale, we, we were kind of pitching to Apple um, two different uh, games. And we're working on these. And we're kind of like at the end of the, you know, wrapping up the pitch and, and about to send them. We had like two days maybe before the, the deadline. And um, uh, we were kind of joking around a little bit with, you know, Butter Royale as a pun on the word, you know, Battle Royale. And, uh, and of course, we started going on with like puns. And it just kind of like snowballed into like, oh, and then it happens in San Francisco, which is like the city that you see on the on the island and then like yeah and one of the weapons is the leak of legends and you know it's like you'll have a baguette it's like these kind of you know uh, uh stupid things and um and it was so easy and so natural because food is such a how do you call that so such a universal theme right uh that everyone on the team started participating to this with their own little ideas and being like oh we could do this and we could do that and we um we ended up creating a huge document uh, on google drive where everyone could just like drop you know either puns or ideas of weapons or places to visit or things that they would like to see in the game, but always related to food. 
Uh, and so uh, we, we, we ended up with like a lot of material. Uh, so we created like very quickly because we were so excited about the idea and we had the team as well. Like when you have the entire team behind that, you're like, okay, we, we gotta, we gotta pitch that. Um, we created the materials within like, like, yeah, about two days, a bit of visuals, uh, a nice pitch. And then we sent it out and Apple wanted to make two games. Actually, we, we felt like, okay, we, ha- we can't only do one at a time with the team that, that we had at the time, the scale of the team. Um, and we picked uh, Butter Royale because there was so much, uh, you know, like people were enjoying so much, like participating to the uh, to the project from the from the start that we felt like that's the best uh, fit for us. So that is really incredible, and I love that the game was built just off of a string of puns to do with food. I just yeah, part- <laughs> it started with one pun. <laughs> My partner saw me looking at the trailer today and he was like, what is that? And I was like, it's a game and you have a gun and you can shoot ketchup from the gun. And we both loved it just on the premise alone. So 643 is really interested and he's asking in chat, what was the pitch process like for Apple? Um, The pitch process. So I think with a pitch, you try to touch to... um try to touch the essence of the game. So it doesn't necessarily say exactly how it's going to look like. Um, you try to be as close as you can, but you're always limited on time, right? And you only have a few slides that you can you can prepare because you want to catch people's attention. So um, generally, we would have um, a bit of story, a bit of um, high-level mechanics, a, bit, a, a little bit about the meta of the game, uh, some character designs, if possible, and we had that for Battle Royale a a kind of uh, mock-up of what the, the game visual could be like uh, in a session of the game. Um, and specifically to like how it was to pitch to Apple, because uh, that was the, the, the question, uh, it was it was a, f- a fairly, uh, uh, um, you know, um, how to call it, um, sorry, very, very simple process. Like they were very open. They were like, okay, um, we're interested in your ideas. Uh, um, we, we want family friendly. Like we were, we were already, uh, working with this in mind, that was uh, something that we wanted to explore. So that's the type of uh, ideas that we came up with, with you know some nuances, but generally uh, very uh, very nice. That was that was great. Absolutely. Were there any challenges developing a battle royale for iOS? For iOS specifically for iOS. Yeah. Okay. Um, just because um, the game is an exclusive to the Apple platform. Well, actually. Actually, it was it was pretty. Um, how say that? Because we developed for iOS, we had a set of platforms that were very specific. We knew exactly which platforms we wanted to support, and we could test and optimize the game to run as well as possible on the platforms. So that's actually a really good, you know, kind of conditions to be working in, right? You, you know exactly what to expect, and you can you can prepare everything properly. So so working on an, on specifically iOS platforms was really great. Now you said before the um the game itself allows for for you and thirty one other people to battle each other. What was the challenges allowing that many people to be on the same well virtually on the same thing at once? Well, I think probably like all real time games like latency is one of the biggest challenge, uh, especially when you want to have like so many players i mean thirty two is more common these days, but that's still a fair amount of people to connect at the same time. Um, so definitely working around um, latency was was the, the biggest challenge for us. What has the reception been so far for the game? Uh, 
uh, great. <laughs> like we're we're really happy that people are picking it up and being like, this is really funny, and like the puns are really funny, and the universe. So we we're we're really happy with this. Um, uh, maybe one one of the things that surprises the most is is um, kind of the sort of validation of some of the things that we had in mind when we were making the game. Like we wanted to make a game that was very accessible. We wanted to make a game that you know people from I don't know seven to seventy seven could be playing and even be playing together. So um, given the reviews that we had uh, on the on the store and people just you know contacting us just even for support, like we realized that we actually have families playing together. We have auntie. Uh, you know, helping uh, her nephew, you know, to uh, play the game and he's maybe uh, having a problem Then she's writing, you know, for him. We have uh, also players our age. Uh, we have people sending us fan art. Uh, so it's, it's like, it's it's really, it's just really nice. So uh, uh, we, and, and we built this game to be, you know, very, again, like very accessible and, and, and we see the results of that. So we're, we're really happy about it. It was a really good surprise. So thanks for watching Pixel Sift. If you're just joining, we're talking to Ben Chevalier from Mighty Bear Games about their game Butter Royale. Now, we do have a question in the Twitch chat from Nick Kennedy, maybe. So he says, hi, mate. How does it feel developing a game intended not just for a single platform, meaning iOS, but also for a very specific subscription service like Apple Arcade? Is that new to you? Uh, yes. Uh, thanks for the question. That's a cool question. Um so how did it feel to develop a game for a single platform and for arcade specifically? Um, so actually, just maybe I'm, I'm misunderstood, but um, it's, it's cross-platform. So it's for arcade, but for all iOS, uh, sorry, all Apple uh, uh, devices, you can actually play on the iPod as well. That's uh, something that we support. Um, and how did it feel like working specifically for, uh, for arcade? Uh, again, like... Um, it was it was a really comfortable situation to be in, like for us. Uh, we had very specific, um, um, you know, devices that we were targeting. Uh, we had we agreed on the deadlines. We agreed on everything up front. Uh, they've been very supportive, um, and uh, I think again, like the fact that it's it's really the nice part for me when, from a technical perspective, that you're working on Apple products, so there is like essentially no surprise. You know exactly how to build your game so that it runs nicely. Uh, and uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the subscription platform itself and Apple, I think it aligned really well with a lot of our kind of like internal values uh, where we, we like, you know, uh, protecting um, uh, privacy of our players. Um, we enjoy the fact that, I mean, it's, it's kind of very aligned, like we're making family-friendly games uh, Apple is a very family-friendly product. Generally, what they do is very easy to use, very, uh, you know, uh, user experience-centric. Uh, so there was a lot of alignment with uh, with what we do usually and what we like to do. So, uh, yeah. We have another question from the uh, Twitch chat from 643. Are there any plans to bring Butter Royale to Android? Um, not at the moment, no. Would that be something easy or difficult to do because it's on us well, it's going from iOS to Android? Would there be many challenges? There, there would be definitely the the challenge of, uh, um, sorry, the the challenge of all the you know the different devices that you have to support. So, like, we want to ensure. I guess that's one of the things that was good with working for uh, Apple in this case is that 
um, you know, there is this, this quality bar that is really high that you want to achieve on the product. It's a challenge, but then because, you know, the platforms, you know, how far you can go. And with Android, it's probably difficult. Like it's, it's, it's achievable, but it's, it's more difficult. There are so many devices. There are so many, uh, uh, you know, different resolutions. And What was the biggest lesson that you and the team learned while making Butter Royale? Um, biggest lesson. Okay. Um, as a team, I think um, great lesson was uh, shipping in six months is great. This is good. It's a good practice. Um, we, uh, of course, it's, you know, um, you can always be tempted to, okay, let's push a little bit the deadline so that we can achieve more. We can polish, we can do this, we can do that. But it forced us to scope really, really, really well. And, um, and I think we, we want to continue doing this in the future. That's, it means there are certain projects that maybe we're not going to do. Uh, it means that we're going to approach projects with very specific, you know, mindset. But then we know it's achievable and, and we're happy with the pace because spending like, you know, years on a project and you don't even know if it's going to ship in the end. Sometimes, you know, things happen. That's the game industry. I worked on many projects that never shipped for many different reasons. And sometimes it's after years of, of, of work on them. So uh, we're, we're very happy with, you know, we did the game in six months from concept to launch. And I think we want to continue with this kind of pace. Absolutely. So as the art director, could you tell us a bit more about the art and design of the game overall? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm first, I have a great team. <laughs> I have an awesome team. I'm not, I'm not alone. Um, we're six people in the art team. Um, essentially, I'm um, kind of responsible for like overviewing the art production internally, externally, but I also do growth. So I'm, I'm not always involved with the hands-on work. So uh, our art lead uh, on Butter Royale is Gary. Uh, Gary Chu, he's a he's a great concept artist, illustrator. He can do 3D, 2D, he can do pretty much everything. Uh, and um, on the team, we also have a UI UX person that has been uh, working a lot on the branding of the game. There has been a lot of efforts done around that. Uh, we have a 3D person who is Melissa uh, Venti, who is a concept and animator, but she can also do 3D. She can also, I mean, it's like everyone is fairly versatile. And we have a tech artist, uh, Sul, who joined us during the production who kind of like does a lot of like magic uh, stuff around like making everything, you know, perform well and look great. And he's also writing tools. So that makes our life really easier. And so in terms of the approach of how we, how we came up with the art for the game, we usually, we, we usually have um, um, about uh, four, four or five, you know, things that we keep in mind, which is first one is the, the storyline. Uh, can we achieve a style that will kind of convey the storyline that we want to convey? Because it's all visual. We, we don't have so much write-up. So everything is kind of like either like small puns uh, here and there or just like pure visual. Uh, and can we do this? Can we convey what we want with this style? Then there is the audience. Does it resonate well with the audience that we have in mind? And as we were saying, we, we had this like very large, you know, audience. Uh, uh, it had to be a fairly global accessible product. And, of course, the platform uh, is the next thing that we think about. Like, how do we make sure that everything is readable? Like, you will notice that the limbs are a bit, you know, thick. You will notice that the heads are a bit big, uh, and that's that's um, a product of uh, us being like, okay, the smallest factor platform that we have is the iPhone. We need the characters to read. We need the buildings to read. Things have to be clear, and so we ended up with fairly chunky, you know, things, but not just 
because of the platform, but also because of the feel of the game, which is like the fourth maybe factor that we, we, we take in account. It's like, what kind of feel do we want? And that's, that's actually the feel itself is something that the game vision touch, touches on very early. Uh, and we're like, we want something playful, toyish, uh, bouncy, juicy, uh, you know, chaotic, like all of this stuff. And, and so, um, all of these things are informing our decision making on the art side. So we start with like, you know, sketches with all of this in mind, uh, this, this perspective, and then we start iterating on these. Um, usually, uh, we'll do a few tests. Um, like we had like, we, we tried like very, how say that, very organic shapes. And we started trying a little bit more like a squarish, but still like with very, you know, um, soft edges and then we tried like completely blockish kind of characters and we ended up with something that feels a bit a bit more toyish probably now we unfortunately don't have much time left but just to end off you said at the very beginning that you guys had a whole document full of so many different ideas do you reckon you'll ever make a sequel to the game using some of the ideas that didn't quite make the first game yeah, absolutely. They're just they're you know ideas for like five games at least. It's like yes, we have a lot of content. Like that's the funny thing. Like when when people like kind of own that thing, they're just like it just keeps coming. And it's 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 cool because the entire production we kept you know updating the document with new ideas. So definitely we'll uh, we'll have material for the future. Yeah, and we have uh, of course like you know new games in the works, and um, this is. Like for us, I think Battle Royale is a is a larger universe. That's why we have so much work done on on the branding as well. Like it's it's not just Battle Royale as like a single game show. There is a much wider universe involving Caesar Salads, involving Coco Chandrel, who's like one of the creators. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's pl- some cool stuff that we're working on right now. I, c- I can't get into the details, but that's kind of uh, related to uh, Battle Royale. Sounds fantastic, though. All of these kind of you know is. Um, related to that document and all the ideas that we have in there. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. That's about all ta- all the time we have time for adventure. Sorry, I lost track of my sentence. That's all about we have time for today. Thank you for listening or watching episode 144 of Pixel Sif. This episode has been hosted by myself and Sarah. Thanks for joining me tonight, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Fee. And thank you, Ben Chevalier, for taking the time tonight to tell us more about your game. It sounds absolutely amazing, and I definitely want to sit down and play it now. Thank you for having me. That was awesome. <laughs> no worries. Thank you very much. Pixel Sift is also produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, myself, Mitch Lowe, Daniel Ang, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. As always, we'll be sticking links to the topics we talked about tonight in the show notes on our website on www.pixelsift.com.au. Why don't you come also join us on Discord because we'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord where you can share your creative work, talk about topics, games and anything else and just come hang out with us after the show. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can we ask you for a favour? We need your help to share the show. So tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters, start someone's journey into podcasts because we know that getting started is tricky but once you're in, you'll love it and you'll especially love pixel sift our next episode will be recorded live on twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift on thursday 30th of april at 8 30 p.m australian eastern daylight time oh that is that is not correct because daylight savings time has changed that would be 7 30 p.m australian eastern standard time sorry about that everyone <laughs> no that's right so you can come join us and be part of the episode jump in the chat and feel free to ask us your questions 
But next week, if you join us on Thursday, 23rd of April, it will be Pixel Sift Plays where we play some of the indie games that feature on our show. But that's all for this week. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Pixelsip listeners, my name's Ben, I'm one of the hosts and the Dungeon Master of How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons. It's a Dungeons and Dragons actual play comedy slash storytelling podcast. That basically means I sit around with some of my best friends, these idiots, and I am your first mate, Jackson Usid. Thomas Horatio Hornblower Owen. Whoa. Grace the Kraken Chapel! <laughs> and we play Dungeons and Dragons together. Everybody roll initiative, we're going in here. Mine's 11. 19. That's a two! <laughs> Telling a collaborative fantasy story whilst trying to make each other, and you, laugh. I feel like we should include that and just see if we get away with it. Oh, I'm definitely going to include that. <laughs> <laughs> we explore a world known as Carthus, and we try and balance the rules-heavy D&D actual play stuff with storytelling, comedy, and fun. If you're into nerdy stuff, or if you're just into good friends hanging out, you'll probably like it. We're quite close to the end of our current story. And it is one continuous narrative, so if you're looking for a place to jump in, I'd recommend listening to Chapter Zero at the very start of the feed, which gives you a bit of background and some ideas for places to start with the show. That's How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons from the Curio Network. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at curionetwork.com.